from the Center for European Reform. Posons-nous sérieusement la question de l'avenir que nous voulons et ayons tous ensemble le courage de le construire. Für uns in Deutschland ist das Bekenntnis zum vereinten Europa Teil unserer Staatsräson. A strong united Europe is a necessity for the world because an integrated Europe remains vital to our international order. This is the moment for Europe to lead the way towards a new vitality. This is a CER event audio recording. Excellencies, noble lords, leader of Her Majesty's opposition, distinguished guests, Falchiroiv, Galair, go on beside Neheran. You are all very welcome to the Embassy of Ireland. Um, as we all know, Charles Grant is both energetic and youthful. But still, I was a little surprised when he asked me some time ago to host the 24th birthday. I misunderstood the request. It wasn't a personal one. It was, of course, to host the Centre for European Reform's 24th birthday celebration. The Embassy and the wider Irish diplomatic network have enjoyed a strong relationship with the CER throughout its history, so we are delighted to again host this event in the company of friends, colleagues and admirers. Since its foundation in London, the Centre for European Reform has been at the forefront in analysing many of the key challenges facing the European Union. In 2016, the Centre expanded its presence across Europe and now forms an important part of the think tank landscape in both Brussels and Berlin. Through thought-provoking, independent and critical debate, CER has played an important role in ensuring the EU remains open, outward-looking and effective in the modern, globalised world. Charles and the CER team are consistently recognised for the high quality of their contribution to public debate and deserve great credit for their intellectual rigour and policy expertise. I think it's particularly appropriate that this embassy hosts this event as we approach the centenary of the establishment of the Irish state in December and next January, a half century of Ireland's EU membership. While we are still a young state, our participation in the EU has played a critical role in the economic, social and cultural transformation of modern Ireland. As Taoiseach Michal Martin told the European Parliament last month, the decision of the people of Ireland in 1972 to support EU membership was overwhelming, but it wasn't achieved easily. Significant questions were asked about the ability of Ireland, then a peripheral country and the poorest in Europe, to survive and thrive in the European community. But in choosing participation and solidarity, the Irish people set Ireland on the path of partnership towards a shared European future. They did not see Europe as a threat to our cherished independence, but rather as an expression and enabler of our sovereignty. 50 years on, that decision has been well and truly vindicated. CER is pro-European in ethos, but not uncritical in attitude. In Ireland, we too are aware that the EU, like each of its constituent member states, is by no means perfect. The EU is still a work in progress, and one that must continue to develop and evolve with more urgency and ambition than ever before. If there was ever a risk of complacency and inertia, the appalling invasion of Ukraine has been a huge wake-up call for us all. At its core, the EU is an evolving peace project. Nowhere do we feel this more deeply than in Ireland. 
the EU played an important role in bringing an end to violence on the island of Ireland and in supporting the negotiation and implementation of the Good Friday Agreement. This foundational agreement is not only the template for peace and political stability within Northern Ireland, but it's also the framework for relationships between Ireland and the United Kingdom. As part of the Good Friday Agreement, the UK and Irish governments in 1998 solemnly reaffirmed their commitment to, quote, the principles of partnership, equality, and mutual respect. As the leader of the party that delivered the Good Friday Agreement in government, I know Keir Starmer understands that a rededication to that spirit of partnership is absolutely necessary if we are to collectively navigate our way through the current turbulence that disturbs EU-UK relations. Unilateral actions only create impasse and uncertainties. It is goodwill, dialogue and agreement that will deliver durable solutions. From his time working with the Police Service of Northern Ireland, Keir has direct personal experience of the peace process in Northern Ireland, has been a good friend of this embassy since my arrival here in 2017, made a very successful visit to Dublin a few weeks ago and was warmly received by the Taoiseach, the President and other ministers. And we are delighted to welcome back him back to the Embassy of Ireland. In conclusion, all of us in this room welcome the opportunity to celebrate the mission, values and work of the Centre for European Reform. So please join me in wishing the organisation a very happy birthday, offering our congratulations to all of its team and giving a warm welcome to its ever youthful director, Charles Grant. Thank you so much, Adrian. This is the first CR birthday party for three years. I'm so happy to be here with everyone tonight. It wouldn't be possible without Adrian and Keir, so thanks both of them for making this possible and all Adrian's colleagues at the embassy. It hasn't been an easy year or two for pro-EU think tanks. We haven't always been fashionable. But fashions change, that's a good thing, and I predict we'll be the think tank a la mode sooner rather than later, in my view. Uh, we've come through the difficult times. We have the best team of researchers we've ever had at the CR. We have, we're hiring new researchers, in fact, and we have an unbeatable admin team as well. So I'd like to have a big round of applause to my colleagues, please. Yeah. We're fighting fit and we're focused on our two core missions. One is to come up with ideas and policies helping the EU to reform so that it becomes a more effective organisation. The second is to improve the quality of the UK-EU relationship. We'll continue to produce serious, rigorous, evidence-based research and policy prescriptions on those subjects. But before I hand over to Keir, just two brief comments from me. Firstly, as I think people know, we don't take sides in party politics. We don't support one party or the other. We've worked constructively with both Tory and Labour governments. But we're not neutral on the importance of respecting the rule of law. I was in Paris recently, I was quite shocked at how annoyed and surprised many Europeans in Paris and other places are. Current government seems to adopt such a cavalier attitude to the rule of law. I know many Conservatives share that view, and let's, uh, let's hope that Labour governments respect the rule of law rather better. Uh, my second point is, I'm, when I was in Paris, I learned that Macron is extremely committed to his idea of the European political community. This would be a political club where democracies gather to exchange views on common strategic challenges such as China, Russia, energy security, transport, infrastructure, whatever. Those taking part in, in this club, which in the first meeting will be in October in Prague, 
will be applicants for the EU like Ukraine and the Western Balkans countries, but also those who don't want to join, like if it wants to come, the UK, but also Switzerland, Norway, Norway and possibly Turkey. Now, Macron himself, of course, has been very tough with the British on Brexit, but I know he really wants us in the European political community. He sees there a real problem that is emerging. People in the EU are becoming very ignorant about what's going on in the UK, and vice versa, and he sees that. He wants the British to be sitting around the table exchanging views on common challenges with other Europeans. He knows there's not enough people-to-people -people contact, including at government level. Now, the Czech presidency, as I said, are holding the first meeting quite soon. Liz Truss said in Paris at the weekend she wasn't interested in this club. There are too many European organisations already, she said. I hope the Labour, Labour opposition and one day a Labour government will be more in interested because we need to find ways of reconnecting ourselves to the EU and creating more people-to-people -people contacts between Britain and other European countries. That's enough from me. Over to you, Keir. Thank you, Charles. It's a real privilege to be here this evening, to be back here tonight. And can I thank everybody at the Embassy, especially Adrian, for the immense contribution that he has made as Ambassador to Britain. He's been incredible for all of us that have engaged with him, honest and constructive in working through the many challenges. And there have been many challenges, Adrian. Um, and Adrian, you've provided so much insight, thought and wisdom, wisdom to so many of us, including me. And friendship when it was needed. I will never forget you reaching out to me when my dad died in the middle of the Brexit debates in 2018, a very difficult time. And you reached out. And so it's that wisdom, that insight, but also the human being that you brought uh, to this role. And I can speak, I think, for everyone in this room and all political parties when I say you will be missed across the political spectrum. And Adrian, we thank you and send you every best wish for the future. And now to Charles Grant. Charles's vast expertise on European relations I think has been unrivaled for decades. Um, Charles has been not only a valuable source of knowledge for me over the years, but also a trusted friend. Um, many is the time that I've trudged to Charles's house, which is just 50 yards up the road from me, for a cup of tea and an update on all things European. And I remember when Charles trudged the other way down the street to our house, to book in hand, pen at the ready, to quiz my wife and I about local nurseries and schools <laughs> when his little boy came along with the same attention that he gives to everything. And we're here today to celebrate the 21st birthday of the Centre for European Reform, the CER. And I say 24, I think that's how many years there's been since the office opened. But actually, the concept of the CER was born in 1996. And in that time, the world has changed beyond recognition. And so, of course, has the work of CER. For many, 1996 was a time of optimism. Incredible optimism. The Baltic shipyards of Poland, the villages of southern Bulgaria, tens of millions of people who had labored under the yoke of tyranny, 
were looking forward to a European future. Barriers were coming down. Economies were beginning to thrive. Mobile phones were becoming commonplace. Personal computers were switched on to the internet. That concept we're beginning to understand in 1996. And those technologies were connected to the world at a stroke. And some of the totemic battles of the previous generation were being wrapped up. The Cold War was over. Apartheid had been ended. And peace was coming to Northern Ireland. Here in Britain, a deeply unpopular Conservative Prime Minister found himself mired in sleaze, weakened by his failures, and a slave to the right wing of his party. So whilst much has changed, not everything has changed. And then, just as now, a renewed Labour Party has put itself in a position to be the next government, staking out the centre ground and building plans to take the country forward to a new era. The big difference, I think, with 1996 is that we've lost that sense of optimism. After a decade of low growth under the Tories, taxes are rising, inflation is rampant and doing huge damage to households and businesses. In 2022, Britain is stuck. Stuck with an economy where wages are flatlined and household bills are going through the roof. Stuck with broken public services that no longer work for those that they serve. Stuck in queues for passports and driving licenses. Stuck waiting for delayed trains and buses. Stuck on hold as we try to get a doctor's appointment. And Britain is also stuck with a government that has no plan. One that was elected on a promise to get Brexit done, but has now decided to reopen those old divisions in order to ensure Britain remains stuck with this failed prime minister. But whilst the Conservatives are flailing around, Labour has been claiming the centre ground of British politics once again. Not a mushy place of compromise, but a place driven by purpose, a place driven by optimism. Our driving mission is to get Britain's economy growing again so we can ensure the people and the places who've lost out for too long are once again revitalised and re-energised. And I'm going to be saying a lot about that in the coming weeks and months. But the first step in doing so is to ensure Britain thrives in its new role in the world by ensuring we make Brexit work. Now, there are some who say we don't need Brexit to work. We need to reverse it. I couldn't disagree more. Because you can't move forward or grow the economy or deliver change or win back the trust of those who've lost faith in politics if you're constantly focused on the arguments of the past. We can't afford 
to spend all of our time looking back over our shoulder because all the time we're doing that, we're missing what is ahead of us. So let me be very clear. Under Labour, Britain will not go back into the EU. We will not be joining the single market or the customs union. Now, I know that some people don't want to hear that. But it's my job to be frank and to be honest. And you'll always get that from me. The reason I say this is simple. Nothing about revisiting those rows will help stimulate growth or bring down food prices or help British business thrive in the modern world. It would simply be a recipe for more division. It would distract us from taking on the challenges that are facing people. And it would ensure that Britain remains stuck for another decade. Under Labour, that simply will not happen. What you will get under Labour is a plan. One that will deliver on the opportunities Britain has to sort out the poor deal Boris Johnson signed and end the Brexit divisions once and for all. It's a proper plan to make Brexit work. Now, I know I would never be allowed to take this stage without telling you what that plan looks like. So let me set out for you how it works. The first step is clear and obvious. We have to sort out the Northern Ireland Protocol. If you're going to make Brexit work, that has to be the starting point. Now, just a few weeks ago, as Adrian said, I had the great pleasure of being in Dublin and in Belfast, where I worked for many years. I was struck by the fact that businesses there are clear. They can make the protocol work. The solutions are there. They've listed them. The desire is there. What was missing was trust, a crucial ingredient that has always characterized progress in relations between our islands. That's been eroded by this government. Labour will change that. We will be the honest broker our countries need. And we will get the protocol working. And we will make it the springboard to securing a better deal for the British people. As well as building trust, Labour would eliminate most border checks created by the Tory Brexit deal, with a new veterinary agreement for agri-products between the UK and the EU. And we will work with businesses to put in place a better scheme to allow low-risk goods to enter Northern Ireland without unnecessary checks. The second step we would take is to tear down unnecessary barriers. Of course we recognize that outside the single market and customs union, we will not be able to deliver completely frictionless trade with the EU. But there are things we can do to make trade easier. Labor would extend the new veterinary agreement to cover all of the United Kingdom seeking to build on agreements and mechanisms already in place between the EU and other countries, benefiting our exporters at a stroke. Now, there was a story 
on the news the other day that you may have seen about a wet wipe island that's formed in the Thames. This is made up of fat and oil and household rubbish. It's one meter deep and the size of two tennis courts. It's blocking the flow of the river and changing the shape of the riverbed. You couldn't imagine a better metaphor for the Tory Brexit deal. They have created, they've created a hulking fatberg of red tape and bureaucracy, one that is hampering the flow of British business. We will break that barrier down, remove that fatberg, unclog the arteries of our economy, and allow trade to flourish once more. The third step will be to support Britain's world-leading industries. That means mutual recognition of professional qualifications, ensuring our services can compete and restoring access to funding and vital research programs. Step four would be to ensure we keep Britain safe. For too long, the government has been blasé about European security. The actions of Putin must jolt us back into reality. Because in the modern world, if one of us is not safe, then none of us are safe. Strengthening security cooperation with our friends and allies is vital. And I know that firsthand from my experience when I was director of public prosecutions. We can't take risks with terrorism, organized crime, and people trafficking. That's why Labour will seek to arrange new security arrangements to defend our borders, and why we will share data, intelligence, and best practice. And it's why we will set up joint intelligence and working here and in Europe. The final part of our plan will be to invest in Britain. The lesson of the last decade is that if we're to achieve economic growth and see the benefits flowing to every part of our country, we can't be bystanders. The, the Tory plan set out by Jacob Rees-Mogg is about cutting standards, regulations and protections before stepping back and gawping at the power of the market. And that won't work. It's a surefire way for Britain to lose the global race for jobs and for trade. It'll exacerbate the problems we already face. It will not deliver on the promise of Brexit. Labour's plan is very different. We will work hand in hand with businesses to bring good, clean jobs, the future, to our shores, harnessing the power of government alongside the ingenuity of our brilliant private sector. Together, we will open up new markets and create new opportunities. The government have missed Brexit opportunities time and again, and it beggars belief that during a cost of living crisis, they haven't cut VAT on energy bills. Labour will be sharper than this. We will use our flexibility outside the EU to ensure British regulation is adapted to suit British needs. That is Labour's plan to make Brexit work. It's a plan that puts the divisions of the past behind us and seizes the challenges and opportunities of the future. It is a plan that helps everyone, from exporters to musicians, to thrive. It's a plan to reverse the Tory spiral of low growth and high tax a plan that puts Britain in the best place to compete 
on the global stage, a plan that will help us achieve our central mission of delivering economic growth to Britain and spreading it throughout the country. But there's something even more crucial than that. In 2016, the British people voted for change. The very narrow question that was on the ballot paper, leaving or remaining in the EU, is now in the past. But the hope that underpinned that vote, the desire for a better, fairer future for our country, is no closer to being delivered. We will not return to freedom of movement to create short-term fixes. Instead, we will invest in our people and our places and deliver on the promise our country has. If we're to restore faith in politics as a force for good, we must now get on with delivering on that promise. The Tories have no idea how to do that. Labour does. Labour has a plan. And this plan, a plan to make Brexit work, is the first stage of delivering on that change and delivering a better future for our country. Thank you very much.